Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Welcome, everyone, as we are now looking at the final sermon in our Growing Together sermon series that we began several weeks ago as we stepped into the new year as the theme of our church throughout this year will be Growing Together. The title for this sermon is Growing Together Alone. There's a poem by Maya Angelou with that title, Alone. Here's the poem she wrote or part of the poem that she wrote. Lying thinking last night how to find my soul a home where water is not thirsty and bread loaf is not stone. I came up with one thing and I don't believe I'm wrong that nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. Alone, all alone, nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. Growing together is our theme. It's what we're focusing on. And as a matter of fact, as a church family, we are now concluding a 21-day of fasting and prayer where we followed the same devotional over these past 21 days called Pursuit. Now, just in way of brief sort of infomercial, we are going to be taking on another devotional. We'll all be journeying through together the 40 days up into Easter that's entitled Pauses for Lent, 40 words for 40 days. And so we're going to be making that available to you, and I just wanted to make mention of that now. Now, what's interesting is, as I was praying about this last sermon to finish up our 21 days of fasting and prayer that has been entitled Pursuit, I felt like God drew me to a story from Scripture that was not found in the 21-day devotional. As a matter of fact, what really made me struggle was as I looked at this passage of Scripture and felt so compelled by the Spirit that this was to be the final sermon in this series... I struggled because it just seemed like it almost had nothing to do with anything that we had focused on over the past 21 days. And then in prayer, it struck me. We're going to take a look at a parable that is the absolute opposite of everything we focused on for 21 days. The exact opposite. And it's a parable that's entitled, The Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, what's interesting about the parable we're getting ready to read is that it's found in a unique context where Jesus has been talking to people about the dangers of money, and the Bible speaks of that a lot. As a matter of fact, a verse prior to where we're getting ready to read from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is Luke chapter 16, verse 13, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the follow-up to that is verse 14, where it says the Pharisees, who were religious leaders of Jesus' day, it says the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They actually had a visible 
visual reaction in response to Jesus after he had been talking about the dangers of money. Now again, what we're getting ready to read is parable. And a parable is really important for us to understand because it's how the Bible is written. The Bible is written in such a way as to call you into itself, emotionally, obviously, spiritually. But one thing the Bible rarely does is just give you the data you need immediately. It's written as a story. It's written as a story because Middle Eastern literature is written in such a way to draw you in. And the writers believed and Middle Eastern authors believed that the only way you can truly learn is if you actually dig, you seek, you find, you wrestle with, and then out of that wrestling and out of the story of Scripture, you'll begin to discover the truths God wants you to know. And one of the tools they used are what is called parables. And we're getting ready to read one. Now, this parable, the one we're getting ready to read, is the third in a trilogy about money. It's the third in a trilogy about how possessions are to be handled. Let's go ahead and read. And what we're going to do is somewhat unique. We're going to read this parable, and it's somewhat lengthy, and then we're going to kind of sit with it. We're going to look at the parable and we're going to discover together what God would say to us knowing full well that this parable is the exact opposite of everything we focused on for the past 21 days with pursuit. Here we go. The rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Here's the parable Jesus tells. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he replied. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
Now, what we have to come to understand is that there are three main characters in this parable. First of all, there's Father Abraham. Who's Abraham? Abraham is the individual in the book of Genesis, in the Older Testament, right at the beginning of the story of God or near the beginning of the story of God, where God chooses an an individual through which he's going to develop a personal covenant relationship. God comes to Abraham and says, look, Abe, if you'll follow me, I will be your God, and your people will be my people. And through you, Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the world. It's that covenant covenant promise that God makes as he connects with this individual named Abraham, and from him comes the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And so what we know is Father Abraham holds a very esteemed place in the, in the Jewish world and in the mind of people who have faith. Now, as we look at this story, we've got, first of all, we've got Abraham. Now, what's important to know, though, is because many people, when they read the parable, they think it's all about money, and it isn't. As a matter of fact, this is not primarily a parable about the potential spiritual problems that come with wealth. Now, yes, it is true that the Bible is replete with warnings about what wealth can do to us. It's very clear. But what's interesting to note is that it's clear that Father Abraham is the central figure in this parable that deals with heaven. And what we need to understand is, is that Abraham was wealthy. He was very wealthy. When you look in the Older Testament, you will discover God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's a spiritual covenant. It's a promise covenant. But not only that, Abraham becomes exceptionally wealthy. So what we can clearly say is that if we read the parable just to say that wealthy people end up going to Hades and poor people who have suffered automatically go to heaven, that's clearly not what this parable says is saying. The next individual we need to talk about is the rich man. The Bible tells us here in this story that he wears purple. He literally wears his wealth on his sleeve. Not only this, but if you were to look in the original language, one biblical scholar mentions that the word fine linen in the Greek refers to quality cotton used for the best underwear. This man not only had expensive outer robes, but in case anyone was interested, he also wore fine quality underwear. I guess Jesus wanted you to know that. And yes, it was meant to be humorous. But as you look at the scriptures, you discover you've got this wealthy man who wears the finest of clothes. And every single meal is a banquet where he eats the finest of foods. Now comes in the other key player. It's a man by the name of Lazarus. And what's fascinating is, is in all of the parables that Jesus ever taught, this is the only parable where someone in the parable is given a name. And the name here is Lazarus. And it means the one whom God helps. Can you imagine looking at Lazarus's life. And when you look at him, you know his name means the one 
whom God helps. And yet in our story, in the parable that Jesus gives us, the only real help apparently that Lazarus gets is when dogs come to lick his wounds and his sores. As I thought about his name, what dawned on me for us practically as a church is this, is that his name means the one whom God helps, but it doesn't look like God was helping him. And yet I believe that the parable teaches us that the intended God help for Lazarus was the rich man who was behind the gate in his palatial home. I have come to believe that more often than not, the help that God desires to give is when there are people that have and they intentionally are looking for the have-nots. When someone has wealth or a skill set or something and they recognize what they have is from God and then they look around them and they try to find someone who is poor, someone who does not have what they have and they will share it with love and grace and mercy. I have a friend of mine who has now passed away and gone on to his eternal reward. His name is Donnie. And when Fran and I first came to City Church and we began pastoring here, we were in a situation where we really didn't have any money at all. And in not having any money at all, we also had a car that wasn't running well at all. As a matter of fact, Fran had brought this, it was a white Honda Accord, she had brought it into our marriage, it wasn't running right, it was beginning to fail, and quite honestly, I was looking at that car and realized that we did not have the money to fix it. We simply didn't have any money. Well, here comes Donnie. Donnie was someone that was, at the time, was part of City Church. He was here, and he was one of the lead Honda mechanics here in town. I will never forget the day where Donnie walked up to me and he said, Pete, I saw you drive into, your, into the church parking lot. I listened to your car. Your car's got a lot of problems. I said, it is. And believe me, we had tried to take good care of it. It was brand new when Franny had bought it and again brought it into our marriage. What Donnie said to me was this. He said, Pete, look, here's what I'm willing to do. He said, I will rebuild your car. And he said, all you'll need to do is buy the parts at his cost. And he rebuilt the car. I will never forget that act of grace and love and mercy where Donnie had a talent and he was looking for ways in which he could help. And I was blessed because God wanted to help me. I know he did. And it was through Donnie's generosity that my life was blessed and my family was blessed. And so what we discover is, here in our parable, the only time someone is ever named in a parable, it's Lazarus, and his name means the one who God helps. Then, of course, we've got again the rich man. And what we discover in our parable is we have Father Abraham, we have Lazarus, whose name means the one whom God helps, and then we've got this rich man. Now, what's fascinating to me is that the rich man knew Lazarus to be the name of the beggar. In other words, the rich man knew his name, and yet he did nothing to help him. That stuns me. 
As a matter of fact, as we begin to dig into our parable, what we begin to learn is that the rich man knew the beggar's name, never did anything to help him. But when the rich man finds himself in Hades, his view of Lazarus has not changed from his view of Lazarus when he was on the earth side of eternity. Because what we discover in the parable is two times the rich man says to Abraham, go tell Lazarus to do something for me. The rich man still views Lazarus as a beggar, as a servant, as someone who is poor and is beneath him. As I was thinking about that, I was in prayer as a pastor that every one of us at City Church would deal spiritually with the areas in our lives where we view people as being less than us. People that maybe have less education, less money, maybe it's a racial issue, whatever it could be, whatever makes us go into that mode where we feel as though the people around us are there for us. But it shocks me to think that here the rich man is in Hades and he still has the same opinion of Lazarus. That Lazarus' purpose in the world is to go and do things for him because he is rich. As I was reading this parable, something really stuck out to me. And it was Luke chapter 16, verse 22, where it says, the rich man also died. And in this parable, this is the one thing the rich man and Lazarus has in common. Everything else about them is different. Different finances, different health status, different wealth, different everything. But the one thing that it says also, the one thing that connects Lazarus to the rich man is that the rich man also died. I don't say this to be sobering, but the Bible's absolutely clear that on the other side of this life is a time where we must stand before God and give an account for our lives. I know full well that that's not a popular thing to hear, but there's no possible way to read this parable without dealing with it. I do believe that this parable's not the geography study of heaven and hell. That's not what it's there for. But the parable reminds us again that this human life is to be held accountable to God and how I live it matters deeply. It deeply matters. And what this parable teaches us is that everyone who calls Jesus the Savior of their lives we are called by this parable to look at who we are and what we have. And we ask ourselves this question, it all belongs to God, so how can I use it to show that God loves people? How can I use my life to show that God truly cares about people who are in deep, deep need? Now as we look at this parable, we have to discuss how to put feet to your faith. Obviously, this parable truly is about the poor. It truly is. 
In the scriptures, the Bible calls us to be a group of people who are a people who are able to see the suffering and the needs of others. The greatest fault of the rich man is that he knew Lazarus' name, yet he didn't do anything to help him. We as a church are called by God individually and corporately to be a group of people that acknowledge the suffering around us and do what we can to meet the needs of others. But I'm keenly aware of another thing, and that is what is often called compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. It's where the needs and the suffering around us can become overwhelming. It's where we see so much hurt and pain and suffering, where we become need-led instead of spirit-led. And there's a difference. Because if we allow need to motivate us and need to be the thing that draws us, I can promise you compassion fatigue will overwhelm us. But I do believe that there's a lot of us who call City Church their home, or maybe you're just watching this sermon online, and the idea of doing something for the poor or meeting the needs for others is something that's not even in the purview of your life. The scriptures call us clearly to be a group of people who remember the poor. As I was looking at this idea biblically, I came across the passage of Scripture found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul is talking deeply and personally about the gospel that he had received from Christ. He had gone to Jerusalem and he had explained the gospel that he was preaching. And he asked the leadership in Jerusalem if his gospel was correct and if they would bless his ministry, and they did. And then Galatians 2.10 tells us this is that after saying, yep, you're preaching the gospel, you're ministering appropriately, Galatians 2.10 says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. I want you to notice something, that preaching the gospel was what the Apostle Paul went to the leaders in Jerusalem to make sure he was doing appropriately. And they said, you're doing everything well, but here's the other thing we're asking of you, Paul. Please remember the poor. And Paul said he was already planning on doing that. One of the things that we will be doing this year as a church family is we are very succinctly going to be looking to do a better job of meeting the needs of our community and meeting the needs of our church family. There's, it is, again, impossible to read this parable and not feel compelled by God through the parable that Jesus teaches that we as a church must be looking and seeking for and finding what the needs are and then asking the Spirit of the Lord to lead us to meet those needs. Now, what's interesting to note in this parable is something that all of us need to be challenged by. What we find is that the rich man says to Abraham, hey, Father Abraham, why don't you send Lazarus to my five brothers and warn them? Because if they see someone come back from the dead, I know that they will repent. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. 
Let them listen to them. In other words, your brothers have the scriptures. Hey, rich man, your brothers have the text. They've got the Bible. They have the scriptures. And what the rich man is saying is, but that's not enough. What they need is some huge drama miracle where someone returns from the dead. In other words, uh, you know what? Father Abraham, send Lazarus. And notice again that the rich man's still bossing Lazarus around. Hey, Abraham, send Lazarus back and have him go to my brother's. And if he were to walk into their huge palatial living room and look at each one of the brothers, they would know that he was the beggar outside my gate, that he had died. And I know that I know that if there's some dramatic event like that, that they'll repent. But the idea here is in verse 30. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they're going to repent. And what happens is, is Abraham responds. Luke 16, 31. But Father Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The end of this parable obviously is pointing to Jesus himself. You know, I have to confess to you that as a pastor, there are times where I just say to God, Man, if you would do something, God, that would be huge and supernatural and just amazingly undeniable and miraculous and, oh God, if you would just do that, I know that this, this person would believe. I know that it would happen. And yet one of the things I've come to understand is exactly what Jesus is teaching at the end of this parable, is that the scriptures are there for us. That's one of the reasons why this year we are doing these cohorts where together we're going to be taking a look at Scripture. We're going to come to understand Scripture more deeply and we're going to be journeying through the Bible together so that we can truly understand what the story of Scripture is all about. And one of the things you're going to discover as we do that together is even in the Older Testament, we would see how the people of Israel as they're being set free from Egypt, they'll see some huge miracle. And within 24 hours, they've already turned their back on God and they're worshiping an idol. There's something about our flesh that calls for and demands for some type of a supernatural something. And if there were spiritual fireworks, we know that people would believe. And yet the biblical story tells us that that's simply not true. That's not the case. That faith, although encouraged by those incredible events, ultimately our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and understanding as the Holy Spirit inspires scripture to us where we understand what scripture is teaching us and there's a rootedness and there's a depth that happens in that. You know, in my pastoral ministry, there have been times where I have walked certain people through very difficult seasons, extremely difficult. And I have to admit, there have been times in the midst of that where I've experienced compassion fatigue myself, where I just feel like I can't take on another burden. And it is amazing how God gives strength and at times the ability to hand things off to other people. But one of the things that I've seen in life, and I, I just want to put this out there pastorally in response to this parable, is that there are those who in tough times hit. There's no scriptural backing 
There's no understanding of the story of God. And it's almost as though when the tough times hit, and I'll go and I'll sit with them, that there's nothing there for them to lean on. There's no promise from God. There's no scripture. There's no biblical story that's giving them the framework with which they can walk through the trial of their life. And so that's why I'm encouraging us. There's something eternal about the scriptures. It's inspired. It's alive. And when we come to understand the stories, when we hit tough times, there are things there that will be giving us strength in its supernatural strength as we understand the story of God. And listen, I'm not against experience. I've had powerful experiences in the presence of God. I've needed them. But the thing that has always got me through is understanding the story of the Bible, the Jesus that scripture reveals. And oftentimes it's even looking back at the text in the Older Testament that Jesus mentions, looking at the promises given to Moses and to Abraham and to the prophets. So I want to encourage us. It is a church family. My prayer for us is we're moving throughout this year and we're growing together. We would understand that Jesus looks and says another dramatic event is not what it will take but it will take people who understand the scriptures and the scriptures come alive in their hearts. Now again, it's very obvious that the end of this parable, Jesus says they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And in a brief amount of time, that's what he would do. Jesus would be dead, buried, resurrected. He would come back to life. And there were people who even saw him resurrected from the dead, there were those that heard about his resurrection and yet chose to not believe. And so again, as we look at this parable, I know that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is so antithetical to everything that we've been doing for the past 21 days. But I think in it is a real strength of understanding of what Jesus calls us to do and to be as a church, is we follow Jesus, we grow together, and we serve others. I'd like to pray. Jesus, I ask you that this parable would come alive to us, that we as a church family would draw strength from the parable that you have taught us. Help us to be women and men who walk this out with faith and with the love of Christ. And I believe for this, and I pray for this now. In Christ's name. I want to read for us one final stanza from Maya Angelou's poem, Alone. Now if you listen closely, I'll tell you what I know. Storm clouds are gathering and the wind is going to blow. The race of man is suffering and I can hear the moan. Because nobody, but nobody, can make it out here alone. Alone? All alone, nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. God bless you.